0: So yesterday, uh, the Apple Company had a big event to debut their brand new iPhone set, uh, and people lost their minds. So excited about this brand new phone that's incrementally better than the phone they already have. Um, and so, so, so people go crazy. I mean, social media is blowing up. These are the things that are going to be on the new iPhone. News outlets are blowing up. I mean, here's what the new iPhone. People are losing their minds. Um, about a phone, right? And yeah, you what know, what's this? It's not gonna, you can't, can't plug in your headphones anymore. The headphones are gonna be wireless. It's now gonna have, have two cameras. Well, I guess it already had two cameras if you count the front camera. So it's <laughs> now got three cameras, I guess. Um, you know, it used to be, used to be you got so excited because your phone, when I guess, kind of the smartphones came on the scene, even a little before that, they started putting cameras on the phone. It's like, now my phone is also a camera. Now you can see my phone is also three cameras. Um, and so, and so the people, people lost their minds so, so excited uh, man, about, about, about the new phone. The new phone. And so, I ask you guys a question ask your neighbor, you know, what's something that you can't live without? I don't know if anybody said said their phone, or that would be like on their list of things that, man, I would really struggle if you took my phone away from me and said, you can't have this for six days. Uh, I'd be like, you have the shakes, right? Going through withdrawal. I don't know what to do without this thing. Um, and we don't lose our minds. Like that, when like a company announces they've got a new kind of toaster, or there's like a new washing machine model that's just a little bit better than the last one, we don't we don't go crazy for that, right? But there's something about uh, something about the phone. There's something that, and it's not always been this way, right? Just in the last in less than 10 years, uh, the smartphone has so so gotten into our culture, so permeated every part of our culture that man, many of you would say, I don't know that I could live without it. I don't know that I would want to live without it. If you took it away, I'm just going to curl up and die, I guess. Life has no meaning. But then 10 years ago, if you go back to talk to 2006 you, and they'd be like, What are you talking about? It's not that big a deal, right? You're just fine without it. Um, But man, it's infiltrated our culture. It's a huge part of our life. Uh, When you forget your phone, right? When you leave your phone at home, or you forget to charge your phone and it's dead, how do you feel? Okay. Brandon literally cries. Like, you feel helpless. You know, so some of you, some of you guys, are, some of you guys are cool. Like, right? man, I don't need it. I can take it or leave it. You guys, you guys get get all the respect. Um, but, but some of you guys say, man, I don't know that I could function with that. So when I was in college, we're not going to say how long ago. When I was in college, there weren't smartphones, right? Uh, there, I didn't even have like a, a regular phone until a little bit later in college when Jackie and I were dating, and she made me have one so that. So we could get in touch with each other. Before that, you had to like someone had to be at home for you to get in touch with them, right? Like I had to be in my dorm, be in my apartment, by the phone if I'm going to get a phone call from you. Forget text or, or pictures or anything else. Uh, and, and, and then, and then you know we started dating, and, and so that we could, we were both so busy to be in touch. I got a phone, but it was, it was the flip phone, right? Um, it wasn't it wasn't fancy. It wasn't smart. I didn't have my first smartphone until I'd already had children, right, and was was older. Um, but now, I mean, j- just in a few short years, it's a huge part of my life. And I wonder, I mean, how would I do? Would I, I tease you guys, how would I do six days without a phone? You know, I get a little, um, because, because I'm not coming down against like, technology and those kind of things. I, I love it, I, I rely on it too. Um, but I wonder, I wonder with us, man, man it, it taking up such a huge part of our life, it being such a huge focus uh, on our life, uh, that we may be relying on, rely on it too much and, and kind of what is lost. By our relying on this thing too much, you know, at the expense of what? It's at the expense of common sense. I and mean, you guys have heard stories about people doing stupid things because of a cell phone, right? But there was a, a new story uh, like two months ago about some some people walking off of a cliff playing Pokemon Go, right? they, they were not paying attention, they they fell off the cliff playing Pokemon, right? And you guys have heard stories about people getting in the crashes, accidents because they're looking at their phone text and plan, whatever, instead of looking at the road, while they're driving, right? So so at the expense of common sense, at the expense of being able to have a conversation with people, and I really feel like it's impacted our ability to have just face-to-face long conversations with people without the constant distractions. Uh, the, it's it's kind of taken away from our ability to be in the moment, to, to experience life without just the constant notifications pulling us away. Um, you know, again, like I said, just a few years ago, that wouldn't be a problem. If you go back and talk to 2006 you they'd be like, what are you talking about? Uh, You know, how could you be so dependent? How could you rely so much on a device? Um, And actually, what we're talking about tonight has nothing to do with phones. Uh, It has nothing to do with technology um, or addiction or really any of those things, but it's about, man, what do we rely on? What do we depend on? What's that thing we can't live without um, in our life? Man, what what is it that we're relying on? What is it that we're depending on uh, to give us strength to live the lives uh, that we know that we need to live, to do the things we know that we're called to do? What are we relying on? Uh, what are we depending on for that? Maybe it is technology. Maybe it is your, your friends, your families, your, your support network, the people that love you, care about you. and you lean on them, you depend on them. Um, but, but, but what is it for you? What do you rely on? What do you depend on? And then the bigger question is, what should you be relying on? What should you be depending on that's maybe missing from your life? Uh, we're going to talk about that uh, tonight. So we started a new series last week called Throwback. And, uh, and we're talking about what we can learn from the past, what we can learn and even be inspired about from the past. Thinking about, uh, in our own life, man, thinking about how things were back in the day, right, these throwback kind of ideas. And, and, and last week, man, we talked about how, how that can inspire us, how that can help us to focus on what matters, taking those times to think about those things. And if you missed the message last week, I know are a lot of new faces tonight, Um, and you can listen to that online. All of Kai Alpha's messages are available on the website. That's kialphamemphis.com, all spelled out. There's like a a, a link there to to SoundCloud, to iTunes, there's iTunes, podcast. And so if you missed that last week, you can listen to it again. But the basic idea being this, um, that that, that by, by looking back at the past, I mean, there's, there's things we can learn, uh, maybe reclaim some things that are lost and be inspired um, and how to live life in the here and now and focus on what matters in the here and now. Um, and in particular, we're looking at, uh, and throw back Christianity, we're looking at the first few days and weeks of the early church that we see in the book of Acts. Um, we're in a series that's going to take us through the next next five weeks, I'm looking at just the first few chapters of the book of Acts. And what did what did the church look like when it was brand new? What did Christianity look like when it was brand new? Uh, Last week we talked about Jesus giving the church, uh, giving his followers a purpose, a plan, and then the promise that he's going to give them everything they need to fulfill that plan. Um, And so if you have your Bibles, you want to bust it out, Acts chapter two, that's what we're going to pick up tonight. Um, You know, so how can we get back to having the kind of powerful culture transforming lives? Uh, that we see the early church have there in the book of Acts. Um, you know, what can we learn about how the early Christians did things, how they lived, how they prayed, um, and how they sought the Lord, how they shared their faith with their neighbors? Uh, what can we learn from them? Uh, how can we get back to having those kind of powerful, cultural, transforming lives the people around us, they are changed because of how much we love Jesus, uh, that, that, that our neighbors' lives are changed, that our community, our culture is transformed uh, because of how much we love the Lord, and how much we're pursuing God. Um, you know, and, and, and these powerful lives shaped the culture. They saw thousands of people become followers of Jesus. Um, and how can we live that way? Live that way full of purpose and full of power uh, like, like, like they did. So, so, so during the series, we're going to be looking at that, looking at little excerpts um, there from the early church in the first few chapters of Acts. Uh, and in the same way that modern-day people, we talk about relying on technology, relying on a number of different things, rely on insulin, relying on whatever it is, whatever that is you have to get by. Uh, and in the same way that modern-day Uh, people rely on a lot of different things. The modern-day church, modern-day Christianity, then relies on a lot of different things as well. Uh, The modern church, modern Christianity, what does it rely on? What does it depend on? Uh, A lot of times it relies on uh, slick presentations, on sights and sounds and effects, um, on technology, on comfortable seating. These things are not bad, right? These are good things that help to engage a culture that is familiar with these things. These are not bad things, but then it's something that we rely on. Um, and, and, and again, none of those are bad. Uh, the modern Christian also has so many resources at their disposal. Um, and on, on this expensive small rectangle uh, that the most of you guys have, you've, you've got access, man, just a click away, just a touch away to uh, man, volumes and volumes. Uh, material that would help you grow in your relationship with God, resources that would help you help you to share your faith, tools that would help you to, to, to talk to someone about the Lord, YouTube videos you can watch that kind of coach you and help you. Um, and you've got at your fingertips dozens and dozens of translations of the Bible, hundreds of commentaries and notes, extensive writings, stuff that 10, 20 years ago, you would have to go to like a library and a seminary to have access to this, and you've got it at the touch of a finger, right? You've got resources uh, that the early church, I man, it would blow their minds. They would have, what? You have all this, right? What are you doing with it, right? So so, so the modern Christian and the modern church, we, we, we rely on a lot of different stuff. What did the early church rely on, right? This is the throwback. Looking back, now looking back at day one, week one of the early church, what do they rely on? What do they depend on? Um, because the you early know, church didn't have any of those things, right? They didn't have the PowerPoint or the projector or the sound system. Uh, they didn't have Bible college. They didn't have speaking seminars or TED Talks or YouTube. They didn't have any of that. What did they have? What did they have? The early church, early Christians relied completely on the power of the Holy Spirit. That's it. They relied completely on the power of the Holy Spirit. for for To, to, to be able to live the life that they needed to live, to be able to share their faith with their neighbors, they relied completely on. Uh, on the power of God from His Holy Spirit, completely dependent on the assistance of the Holy Spirit for every aspect of their life. Um, they relied completely on the power of the Holy Spirit uh, in a way that many of us, and I'm including myself, have gotten away from. And can we say, I "Man, do we really depend on the Holy Spirit? Do we, moment by moment, rely on the power of the Holy Spirit like they did, like those first Christians did? Um, You know, so we read last week that right before ascending to heaven with the promise that he's one day going to return for each of us, Jesus gives his followers a command. He gives them a plan, a purpose to see the entire world reconciled to God. And it is a good plan. Like, it's an amazing plan that through one-on-one intentional discipleship, one disciples another who disciples another, uh, Jesus would see the entire world reconciled to God. He gives them this plan. It's an amazing plan. Uh, he says, man, I'm sending you into the world to do this, to reach your community and then the ends of the earth. But he says, don't do it yet. Stop. Wait. Wait. Don't go yet. Don't go yet. I'm going to give you the resources, the power that you need to fulfill this plan. You can't do it on your own. You can't do it in your own strength. Um, here's the plan, but wait. Right? Don't go yet. Um, I'm going to give you the power to do it. I'm going to give you the power of the Holy Spirit to fulfill this plan. Um, I'm going to baptize you with my Holy Spirit. So wait. Wait until you receive the power of the Holy Spirit before you go and fulfill your purpose of reconciling people to God. Um, I use the an example, and some of you guys have been in for a while, I've heard this uh, several times, uh, that this example I like to use, I call it go get grandma. So let's say that your, your mom, your dad, says, hey, I need you to go pick up Grandma and take her to the grocery store. Grandma's old, can't walk very good, she certainly can't drive. She needs to go to the grocery store that's a few miles away, get the groceries she needs for the week, It needs to be brought back home. mean, uh, Austin, I want you to go get Grandma, go pick her up, take her to the grocery store, get what she needs, and get her and her groceries back to her house. That's that's what I need you to do this afternoon. But wait, don't go get Grandma yet. I'm, wait till I get home from work, then you can use the car. Right, you can use the car to go pick up Grandma, take her a few miles to Kroger, get the groceries she needs, and take her home. Because if you try to do that in your own strength, I'm picturing Austin, awesome, like, carrying grandma, right, down, down the street, carrying her a couple miles, vinyls, carrying her up and down the, I carried her in the groceries all the way back home. I said, no, 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 wait, there's a plan, let's go get grandma, but don't go yet. I'm going to give you what you need to do. Wait till I get home from work, wait till like, you have the car, uh, and I'm going to make sure you have the resources you need to accomplish the command I'm giving you. Does that make sense? And Jesus, in the same way, gives a very clear command. mean, I want you to go out and be my witnesses uh, in Jerusalem, in Judea, in your neighborhood, in the surrounding area, to the other ends of the earth. And I want you to proclaim me to everyone in the world that doesn't know me so they can be reconciled to God through faith in me. Uh, but don't go yet. Because you're not going to be able to do it in your own power. Um, even more difficult than carrying grandma three miles to Kroger, uh, man, you're, you're not going to be able to reach the world in your own power, your own strength. You're not going to be able to reach your, your neighborhood or the city of Memphis in your own strength. You're not going to be able to reach your dorm or your floor or even your roommate in your own strength. You need the power of the Holy Spirit uh Jesus says you know, I want you to be full of the Holy Spirit because there's going to come a day where no matter how excited you are in the moment I'm pumped about Jesus Jesus saved my life and he turned my life around he healed me he, he he delivered me he fixed this relationship he did this and that I'm excited there's going to come a day where that excitement's going to run out you're going to get burned out you're going to get frustrated and if you're just going off that emotional high it's not going to work right you're going to you're, one day you're going to want to give up Jesus says, I don't want you going in your own strength. I don't want you going just on your own excitement. I want you going full of the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the only way to do it, right? It's the only way to do it. Um, so, picking up here uh, in Acts chapter 2, looking at verse 1. So, the followers of Jesus, these early Christians, they, they go to Jerusalem. They obey Jesus. Jesus said, Wait in Jerusalem until I send you power from on high. I'm going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit, and then you can go. Then you'll have the power to be bold witnesses for me. So, uh, the followers of Jesus, these, these early Christians, they go to Jerusalem. Uh, and there they waited and prayed for what the Lord had promised them. Uh, they didn't know exactly what it looked like. Um, the things that we're going to see in these next few verses, they had no template for that. They're like, what is happening, right? Um, they, they didn't know what to expect. But as we pick up here in Acts chapter 2, um, and it's during a harvest festival. There's a harvest festival going on in Jerusalem called Pentecost. So there, there's people there from all over the world, Jewish people from every region of the earth, uh, and were, were there in Jerusalem celebrating this festival. They were gathered there in Jerusalem to celebrate, and that's where we're going to pick up in verse 1. It says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all gathered in one place. They being uh, the, the, those first Christians, the early Christians there. Um, it says, Suddenly, verse 2, Suddenly a sound, like a blowing of a violent wind, came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Alright, so they they prayed all together. We don't know how long they prayed. Hours. Days. Um, and this this is A long, long time had passed. Uh, and a couple weeks had passed. you know. So, so we're not sure how long they're gathered there, but, but they're praying. Uh, and all of a sudden, there's a sound of a loud wind. Like I'm thinking like, like when you hear like the tornado go by or the windstorm go by, the you know sound of the loud wind. Okay, that's intense, right? And then what looks to be fire above each of their heads. Okay, at this point, I'm I'm what? What in the world, right? I've, I've got again, no template for that. I have no life experience to say, oh yeah, this is you know this is normal when fire appears above people's heads. You know, it's just a thing that happens. No, it's not. It's not a thing that happens, right? So they're so they're, what in the world? Fire fires appearing, you know, tons of flame above each of their heads. And um, if that wasn't weird enough, then they all start uh, to, what the Bible says, speak in tongues, speak in other languages that they do not know. Um, and and so so, and what what's happening here? Are they speaking? Uh, and, and what we're going to see here in a minute is that the people that were there gathered in Jerusalem, they heard them speaking languages from every region of the world. Um, now now, were they speaking uh, in some kind of heavenly language that the, and the Holy Spirit made it to where the listeners heard their own language, or were they were they literally speaking all these different languages? And I don't know, it doesn't, doesn't super matter, uh, but, but something supernatural is going on when someone is able to pray uh, and, and declare the wonders of God in a language that they do not know, right? Uh, some of you guys, well, most of you guys, uh, know English. Some of you guys also know Spanish, Japanese, other languages, um, but to be, to instantaneously to be able to, to, to speak a language you don't know, and there's fire above your head, and there's like this crazy sound going on, that's a lot to take in. Uh, continuing on in verse 5. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. Uh, When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running. I would too. And they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. Verse 7, they were completely amazed. How can this be? They exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native language. Um, Again, so these are people from regions all over the world. Uh, they hear a loud noise. They hear some kind of craziness is going on in this building, and they come and they hear their own language being spoken. But they said, "Hey, all the people that are speaking them—they're—they're I mean, they're natives. They're Galileans. This is their—this is their neighborhood. This is their town. These aren't world travelers. These aren't diplomats. Whatever. These aren't learned gentlemen. You know, that know know these vast languages. Uh, these are just regular dudes. But we're hearing them speak every every language on earth." Um, Continuing on in verse nine, uh, and then kind of, kind of get a description here of all the different people groups represented, and it's a lot. And if I stumble over some of these, you just gonna be patient with me. If they say here we are: Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, people from Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, the visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. And we all hear people speaking in our own language about the wonderful things that God has done. You know, they stood there and perplexed. What can this mean? What can this mean? Would you guys be asking that same question? Uh, Here we are from all over the world. What does this mean? They asked each other. Um, brief sign something, up, something amazing here that's happening. So Jesus tells them, man, the purpose and the plan is for every, every person on earth to have a chance to hear the gospel, to hear the good news about what God has done for them in Jesus. Um, and, and in one of these beautiful already but not yet moments in the scriptures, and we see dozens of these, um, here on day one, You've got people, and so they listed all these different regions of the world, which doesn't mean a lot to us 2,000 years later with modern geography, but basically what we're seeing here is every region of the known world at that point is represented there. Um, and here on day one, people from every region in the known world have a chance to hear the glory of God, the wonder of God, to hear the gospel presented to them on day one. So while there's still a lot of people that still need to hear the gospel, even in 2016 we've got unreached people groups that are still waiting to hear here on day one, everybody hears. Isn't that amazing? It's one of those already, but not yet, right? The, the, the God showed that on day one, this is a message that's proclaimed to all people, but there's still a lot of people that need to hear. So, so they're hearing this. They are amazed. They're perplexed. They say, what in the world does this mean? We came for the harvest celebration, uh, thanking God for the harvest. We were not expecting this. What's going on here? Verse 13 says, but others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk. That's all. Now, now, some of you guys have witnessed a person drunk. They had uh, seen a friend, a family member, that's had too much to drink. Um, there is not a point where you've had too much to drink that you can suddenly speak a new language fluently that you did not already know. That's not a level of drunk. Like there's, there's different stages of intoxication. There's not a level where all of a sudden you're fluent in languages that you've not been taught, right? so. I don't know, but that's what they said. Uh, they're just drunk. They're just carrying on. This is not This is not anything to, to be concerned about. They're just drunk. That's all. Um, verse 14. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 apostles and shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. No, this is what was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. So, so Peter here, full of the Holy Spirit, man stands up and he addresses what, what we find out is an enormous, enormous crowd. Uh, and he says, man, I want to explain to you what's going on. Because I see you guys, you're asking, you know, what is going on? What's the meaning of this? What's going on here? Uh, are these people out of their minds? Are they insane? Are they drunk, intoxicated? And he said, no, it's nine in the morning. Nobody's drunk yet. This is something else. This is what was promised hundreds of years ago by the Jewish prophet Joel. Let me explain it to you. Uh, And then he goes on to quote the prophecy from Joel. Verse 17. It says, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Um, So, so, you know, I said that they didn't have a template for this, that that this caught them off guard, that they were surprised. They didn't quite know what to expect. But, But at the same time, God had promised this for centuries. God had been promising through the prophets, I'm going to send my spirit, I'm going to pour out my spirit. Prior to this, the Holy Spirit had come upon certain people for certain tasks in the Old Testament, but did not dwell continuously inside of people. But there were prophecies that would come a day that God would not uh, only be with us, but also live in us and through us by His Holy Spirit, it would be full of His Holy Spirit. Um, and, and Peter's saying, this is what Joel prophesied, uh, that the, the one day God is going to pour out His Spirit on all people, uh, continuing on in Verse seventeen, it says, "Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I'll pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy." Brief pause here. When we see this word "prophesy," um, you know in, in the Bible we see we see prophecy meaning both uh, you know kind of declaring the future, being able to to foretell with the help of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and God's, God's immense knowledge, you know, an event that's going to happen in the future. And then prophecy can also mean just declaring the wonders of God, the glory of God, speaking truth about God, um, again, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And if we're not specifically told that they're foretelling future events, there's no reason to assume it's that kind of prophecy. Does that make sense? When we hear about, and we're already told earlier that they're declaring the wonders of God in these different languages. Um, so when we see that, we're expect, and when we see that elsewhere in Acts, Uh, When we look at a couple other verses, that's the kind of prophecy we're talking about, declaring the wonders of God, the glory of God uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And again, something beautiful and amazing we see here in Joel's prophecy, Uh, it's not just for men, it's for women too. Um, And and that may be like, okay, no big deal in our very progressive uh, modern American Western culture. This is a huge deal, a huge deal in the ancient world. Uh, Christianity was very progressive. Um, and being uh, and being kind of the, the, the first first major movement to give dignity, value, and worth to women. I and mean, at this time in the ancient world, uh, women did not have the rights and the freedoms uh, that they have today. Um, a woman would have less rights than a male slave. You know, treated as, as property, treated you know, their opinions didn't matter. They, they 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 were not valued in the way we value them today. Um, but when God speaks to that situation. He says it's not that way. Men and women are, are equal in my eyes. They're both valuable and important, and I've got a purpose for both of them. So I'm going to pour out my spirit on men and women, because they both need to be full of my Holy Spirit. Um, and, and this is something when we're looking at the context, that ancient, uh, ancient Near East context there that is just mind-blowing. Uh, that, that, that God would dignify women that way thousands and thousands of years before before that would become a cultural norm. Um, and again, still even, even in 2016 it's not a cultural norm everywhere, there's still places that, that the women aren't, aren't valued and dignified that way, um, and, but the Bible I mean, early on says, says that women have dignity value and worth, they're created in the image of God um, every, every, every bit as much as males are um, and, and that's powerful to me, and that's exciting and if you're a lady, you can be, be excited about that and that's encouraging, uh, and God, God's got a purpose for you, he wants to use you too um, and being boldly used for God is not just a guy thing, it's not just a male thing is there somewhere out there? Okay, okay. Continuing on in uh, verse 19, I, don't, I thought I got excited about that. I thought you guys would be excited about that too. But you know, and, and another thing, another thing when I see when I'm, when I'm reading the New Testament, and I see, see women being honored. Is that the very first eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus were women? Or his female followers were the first ones to see him alive after that? And that is huge. That is enormous. Again, in a culture where the testimony of a woman didn't mean anything. I mean, we just see the heart of God, the love for God, that he loved those women. He wanted to reveal something special to them. Um, He didn't care that culturally, man, that, 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 you know, it was was just against everything. But he wanted to show how much he loved them. I think it's cool. I think it's huge. All right. Verse 19. And I'll cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark. The moon will turn blood red before the great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. So here, Joel, uh, and here in Joel's prophecy, we, we see both an explanation of the signs and wonders that they're seeing there in the present, uh, that they're currently w- witnessing, and then also a promise of the miraculous signs and wonders that will mark the Lord's return. So Jesus' has promised man, I'm ascending to heaven, but it's not forever. There's going to come a day that I'm going to come back and I'm going to return. But for a season, man, I want to make sure everyone has a chance to hear the gospel, to turn to God, to be reconciled to God, to have their sins forgiven and enter into a relationship with God. But that's not forever. Come a day, God's going to say, okay, that's quite enough. And he's going to turn the page and that's going to be it for, for, for modern human civilization as we know it. Jesus is going to return um, uh, and and he, he's, he's going to rule and reign forever. Uh, and, and Joel says there's going to be these signs and wonders that are going to mark that return. And there's also signs and wonders in this present season uh, to, to to mark this promise here that God's going to pour out His Spirit on all people, men and women. Um, and, and 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 what's neat about this prophecy is it all points to the hope that we had in Jesus. The last verse here, verse 21. Um, uh, you know, or Peter again, still quoting Joel's prophecy, says, But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. God's going to his Holy Spirit, there's going to be signs and wonders and these amazing things, but the purpose of it all is so that we'll focus on Jesus. And anytime there's supernatural signs and wonders, uh, anytime the Holy Spirit is at work in a situation, it's to point people towards Jesus. It's to create an opportunity for people to hear the gospel, to hear the good news of what God has done for them in Jesus, uh, you know, so they can put their faith in Jesus, so they can be reconciled to God. Um, and, and, and that's the promise we have here in Joel. It's echoed again uh, in the gospels. It's echoed again in Romans. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from what? Saved from the judgment of God. Safe from the judgment of God. So every single person, myself included, myself especially, uh, man, has at some point uh, failed, screwed up what the Bible calls sin. Somehow, uh, man, disobeyed God, uh, done something that was prideful, selfish, lied, stole, hurt someone else, hurt myself, um, and lived in a way that I knew that I shouldn't. Uh, every single one of us, again, myself especially, um, and the, the, this problem, what the Bible calls sin, and separates us. From having a relationship with a holy uh, and perfect God, and also a just God, a just God uh, that has to punish uh, sin, sin and evil. I mean, a, a good judge has to punish evil, right? If if you were to 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 rob uh, I man First Tennessee Bank down there on Poplar, uh, and, and and the cops surround you and they arrest you and they take you take you downtown and you're you're there standing trial, you're before the judge and they've got you on videotape and they. have uh, they caught you red-handed, and they again—they you know, got like a hundred witnesses that put you there uh, as the bank robber. They caught you with the money bags, with the dollar signs like in your hand, right? You're not getting out of this one. Uh, and, and the bank, you know, the the, the judge is saying, uh, "I can't just let you go, man. Like robbing a bank—that's a big deal. You're you're gonna have to go to prison. Uh, there's got to be a punishment here. And, and it doesn't matter. Say, man, I didn't know. Like, I promise I won't do it again." A good judge has to, he has to punish you, right? He has to, there has to be a sentence there. Uh, if he just says, I promise you won't do it again, right, just this once, no more thanks, that, that judge, then there would be an outcry for him because he's not a just judge. Um, and God is the, the ultimate judge uh, of the universe when, when, there, when there's sin, rebellion, and evil. He has a righteous and holy judgment uh, against those things. And what that looks like in our life is just an absolute separation from the kind of relationship that he wants to have with us. Man, God loves us like a father loves his children. He wants to have an intimate relationship with each and every one of us. Um, But man, that that, that sin makes it impossible. Uh, And so so God did for us in Jesus what we could never do for ourselves. Man, we couldn't live a perfect life to make ourselves right with God. We couldn't sacrifice enough things to somehow make all our sins and problems go away to make ourselves right with God. Uh, So Jesus, man, did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Man, he steps uh, into human civilization, steps into the narrative of humankind, the fully God and fully man. And he lives the life that we should have lived, but didn't live, right? He lives the perfect life. Um, and he, he displays the glory of God, and he's arrested, he's tortured, and he's crucified for us. You know, so that uh, instead of us receiving the punishment, the judgment for everything we've done wrong, God can do the miraculous and lay that judgment instead on Christ. So as Jesus is dying there on the cross, Um, and and God is miraculously laying the judgment I deserve on Jesus instead. So when I put my faith in Jesus what He did for me on the cross instead of receiving judgment which I deserve instead I can receive grace and mercy from God. Instead I can receive His love, His forgiveness. When I confess my sins to God they can be forgiven not because of any good thing that I've done but because of what Jesus did for me on the cross. He's already paid the punishment. right? He's already paid my sentence. Um, He's paid my debt. Uh, and, and there's nothing separating me from God any longer when I put my faith in Jesus. Um, so when we talk about being reconciled to God, that's what we mean. Because of what Jesus said on the cross, we can be forgiven, we can have that kind of relationship with God that God wants to have with each of us. And God, God wants to be in a relationship with you, He wants you to, uh, to know His love, to know His heart for you, and He wants to adopt you into the family of God as a son and a daughter. Um, he, he wants you to have that kind of relationship with Him. And if if you're at a place where you say, Man, I don't know that I really have... A relationship with God like that, but I want to. I don't really know God like how you're describing him, but I want to. We're going to have a chance to pray later. Uh, and for you to put your faith in Jesus that way, um, and experience that forgiveness and new life in Christ that way. Um, good news of the gospel also, Jesus didn't stay dead. He died on the cross. He was buried. And then three days later, God raised him from the dead. And he appears to hundreds and hundreds of eyewitnesses. Um, and he gives them the plan we talked about last week of reconciling people to God uh, before sending to heaven with a promise to return. And then and Joel prophesies here, and whoever calls on the name of the Lord, whoever calls on that name, will be saved. So we call on the Lord and say, Lord, because of Jesus, would you please forgive my sin? Because of what Jesus did on the cross for me, God, would you please forgive me? Uh, wash me clean. Give me a new life, a fresh start in you. And, and God says, "Man, whoever calls on Him that way is saved. Is saved instantly. Made brand new in Christ. Uh, has eternal life in God. An eternal home in heaven with God, with God when this life on earth is over. That's the good news of the gospel. Um, and so, so we see Peter give you know quote Joel's prophecy and give this brief explanation to the crowd about these supernatural signs that they're seeing. And what, what were they seeing again? And hearing the loud winds, fire, hearing languages from all over the earth. He, he gives this short explanation. Uh, and then he follows that up um, with preaching just a simple gospel message. And the result is 3,000 people uh, Join the church that day. 3,000 people decide they want to follow uh, Jesus that day. And next week, we're going to look a little bit more detailed on what that message was. Um, and as a preacher myself, I'm very interested. Like, how can I duplicate those results? How can I preach in a way that, that thousands and thousands of people could, could come to the Lord that way? Um, and, but, but what we learn here is it's nothing, about, it's nothing about Peter, right? It's about the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, this is the same Peter that just a few weeks before this had disowned Jesus, right? When Jesus was arrested, this is the same Peter that said, Jesus, I'm going to go with you anywhere. I'm, I'm willing to die for you. But then he gets arrested and, and he he deserts him. This is the same Peter that disowns even knowing Jesus. The three people come and ask, aren't you one of them? You're one of Jesus' followers. Said, no, no, I do not do not know that man. Yeah, yeah, it was you. I saw you with him. No, no, it wasn't me. You know, someone else asked him, that, that was you, wasn't it? And Curses, expletives, bleepity bleep. No, I told you, no. This is that same Peter, right? That, that, that was afraid. That was scared. This same Peter is stepping up to a crowd of thousands. Declaring the glory of God. Declaring the good news of what, of what God had done for them in Christ. How? How? It's the power of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit that gave him the, the strength and the power. Uh, to, to declare God boldly before these people. It's not a different man. It's the same Peter. but Full of the power of the Holy Spirit. He's brave. Uh, He's courageous, and he's able to do mighty things for the kingdom of God. Uh, We see a huge difference in his life, we see a huge difference uh, in, in the lives of those early followers of Jesus after being baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. So these early Christians, they didn't have big buildings, they didn't have really cool technology, they didn't have polished presentations, they didn't have millions of theological and evangelistic resources at their fingertips. And instead, they relied completely on the power of the Holy Spirit. And God used them in a powerful way to transform their community. 3,000 people joined the church in a single day. 3,000 people said, yeah, I want to follow Jesus. And after, after this man stands up and speaks, full of the power of the Holy Spirit. We see tremendous results. Peter and the other followers of Jesus were dramatically changed following the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And if this filling of the Holy Spirit is not something that you've experienced at any point in your life, your, your walk with Jesus... Uh, man, I want to encourage you to ask God for it. I want to encourage you to seek God for it. Um, And I know this might be really different from some of you. Man, here at Calvary, we've got people from all kinds of different backgrounds. Uh, Man, every denomination under the sun, some of you guys maybe never went to church in your life. Uh, All of this, beginning to end, is brand new for you. Man, I get that. I understand that. um, And I appreciate that. Uh, And and so I'm going to take a moment, just here at the end, these last couple minutes, and to explain to you what exactly the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. So Jesus promised. I want you, he said, "I want you to wait in Jerusalem until you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit." And we see, we see crazy supernatural things happen. They are baptized in the Holy Spirit, um, and and, and then they go out in that power. But what exactly is it, right? Like I, I, I want to be sensitive to the fact that some of you guys are like, "I don't, I don't really, I'm not tracking with you. What is it? What happened there? What's what's going on here?" Um, so super simply, super simply, first. Is this the only time in scripture we see people baptized in the Holy Spirit? Like here on the day of Pentecost, the church was baptized in the Holy Spirit. So now are all Christians baptized in the Holy Spirit because they were? Like now because I'm a Christian, I'm baptized in the Holy Spirit because they were you know, 2,000 years ago on the day of Pentecost. Is this the only time we see that? It's not. It's not. Uh, and, and there are definitely some things that are unique about this first um, outpouring. We talked about the fire and, and the, loud, the loud wind. We don't see that happen anymore. That that was a unique thing. Um, But as we continue on in the book of Acts and and, and get into chapters that we're not going to cover in in this series, but as you study the book of Acts, uh, you're going to see people filled again and again with the Holy Spirit. People baptized in the Holy Spirit again and again in different circumstances. Um, sometimes people are baptized in the Holy Spirit in a group, corporately. Sometimes individuals are baptized in the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's right at the moment of conversion. So right when they put their trust in Jesus, right when they believe on Jesus, right along with it, the Holy Spirit I mean, fills them with power, baptizes them in the Holy Spirit. Um, and sometimes it, it follows conversion. They've been a Christian a while. Maybe they've been baptized in water already. Uh, and then they hear about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. They're prayed for and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. So we, we see it happen multiple different times in the lives of individuals. Uh, I mean, not, not a once and for all thing for the church but something that, that each believer then pursues and asks God for and they receive it in a number of different ways so I mean, as you read through Acts you're going to see example after example of people being baptized in the Holy Spirit and it doesn't look the same every time um, so so the answer to that first question is this the only time we see it no, no we see it several times and uh, enough to the point where we realize I mean, this is something I individually need to seek God for for myself second, what exactly is it like really, like what what is it? What is happening uh, when someone is baptized in the Holy Spirit? If I say, so-and-so is baptized in the Holy Spirit, what does that mean? Like, really, what does it mean? First, let me say this to you. and It would be wrong to say that someone who is not baptized in the Holy Spirit does not have the Holy Spirit. That's wrong to say. Every, every believer, every person that has put their faith in Jesus has the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that first draws us to Jesus in the first place. He's the one that convicts us of sin. The Holy Spirit's the one that draws us to the Father. It's the Holy Spirit. When we put our trust in Jesus, uh, that, that awakens our heart, that, that, that we're born again spiritually because of the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us. And it's this Holy Spirit that, that guides us and directs us, uh, that leads us, that shapes and molds us and makes us more like Jesus. That's the Holy Spirit at work in every single believer. Um, and Paul describes it, the Holy Spirit like being... I mean, a seal, a stamp. Like, you guys, I almost brought some of my daughters, like, stamp books. that uh, have, like, princesses and, and ponies and unicorns and stuff on them. It, but it's a stamp on your heart, not of a princess unicorn, but a stamp saying that you belong to God forever. Right? When you guys check out a book from the University of Memphis library, uh, in the front cover of that book it says, Property of the University of Memphis. Paul says in, in, in Ephesians 1 that the, the Holy Spirit is in the life of every believer that way, a stamp, a seal saying, this one belongs to God forever because of what Jesus did. Well, look at the verse, Ephesians 1, 13. It says, when you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. So what you've got, you've got a a deposit, a hope for a future glory. The Holy Spirit is in your life uh, as a stamp saying that you belong to God, sealing you in God forever. Uh, So so every believer has the Holy Spirit. Every believer has has Jesus Christ by His Holy Spirit living in them and through them in this way. Um, Every every believer. So if you put your trust in Jesus, ask Jesus to save you, um, and you've been reconciled to God in that way, you do have the Holy Spirit. Uh, So what does Jesus mean when he tells you to ask for the Holy Spirit, if you've already got the Holy Spirit,
1: right? And we see
0: Jesus repeatedly tell you to do this several times throughout the Gospels. Jesus tells you to ask for the Holy Spirit, believe that God's going to give you the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to ask God for the Holy Spirit if you already have the Holy Spirit? It's a good question. I'm glad you asked. Let's suppose my son Thomas. Thomas is nine. nine. He started doing cross country. Jackie signed him up to do cross country runs. He's running, if you guys know, it's like 90 something degrees outside of Memphis. It's stinking hot. Uh, and, and so after he's, he's thirsty, and he comes to me and he says, hey dad, I could really use a drink of water. I wanna, could you give me a drink of water? Uh, I'm really thirsty. And, and I could at that point uh, be really obnoxious. You know, I could be really, really annoying and be, well actually son, your body is made of 70 something percent water and, and so technically you already have water. And he could be like, yeah, Dad, I know. I just want more, right? I want more. So in the same way, if you're a believer, if you put your faith in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. Jesus is telling you, ask for more. Ask for more. You need more. You need more until you're overflowing with it. You need more until you're so full of the the power of the Holy Spirit that you're able to to, to believe God the way this early church believed God. You're able to, to speak out in the same kind of boldness that we see these early Christians speak out. Um, and that, that, that's what God's asking for. I mean, open yourself up to receive the fullness of everything He has for you. But yeah, you already have the Holy Spirit. In the same way that my son's already mostly watered, he just wants more. He needs more. In the same way, I mean, Jesus is commanding you uh, I've given you a plan, I've given you a purpose, but you're going to need more of me to get it done. You're going to need I mean, the fullness, everything I can give you to get it done. Uh, Jesus encourages us to ask for more of God's Holy Spirit, to be full saturated by God's Holy Spirit. We use the word baptism, and I don't think that's an accident. You know, when you're baptized in water, man, you get all the way up in that water until you are so saturated with it. We're about being baptized in the Holy Spirit. We're talking about having a life that is absolutely saturated with the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit. Just absolutely full. All of Jesus, all of the Holy Spirit that you can get, you're saying to God, man, I want all of it. Everything I'm allowed to have, I want all of it. Don't hold anything back. Um, and saturated with God's Holy Spirit. And because we leak, because we're cracked vessels, and this is something we need again and again. We need to be filled and refilled with the Holy Spirit. Man, man there, there, there's an experience of being baptized with the Holy Spirit, but this is a continually thing that, that I ask the Lord, that, that we should be asking the Lord, God, would you fill me again? God, you, man, I, man, I was, I've been filled before, but I need to be filled again. I'm running, I'm running low. I'm thirsty. I'm desperate. I need, I need your power. I need your strength. Would you fill me again with your Holy Spirit? You know, so we looked at what it means to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Third and finally, you know, what does it look like in your life? We had definition of terms, but getting down to the nitty gritty, what does it really look like in your life? First, there should be an increased intimacy with God when you've been full of the Holy Spirit. Uh, there should be an increased boldness to be a witness. And Jesus in Acts one what we, eight, what we looked at last week, said, I'm going to see you the Holy Spirit uh, so you can have power to be a witness power to be a witness, so that when you're, when you're nervous about sharing your faith with your roommate, when you're a little bit, you're I say, I'm shy, I, mean, I don't like to just kind of talk about bold spiritual things with, with my classmates, that kind of thing, that full of the Holy Spirit, you would have the courage to speak out about those things, so you'd say, man, uh, okay, I'm, I'm normally shy, I'm normally a little timid, but I don't know if my roommate knows God, I don't know if my classmate, my co-worker, man, I don't know if they have a relationship with Jesus, I don't know if they're going to heaven or if they're lost as can be, um, but full of the Holy Spirit, I have the courage to ask them those difficult questions to start that conversation, to share about the difference Jesus has made in my life and, 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 and share about the good news of the gospel that Jesus did for them on the cross and lead them into a relationship with God. So, so full of the Holy Spirit, you should see I mean, a marked increase in your boldness, in your boldness to share your faith and also your own intimacy, personal intimacy with God. Um, also, several supernatural gifts are distributed to believers by the Holy Spirit. Um, and that is, I'm just going to say, a talk for another time. That's a teaching for another time. There's so much to get into uh, that you guys aren't looking to be here till 1 in the morning. So I'm going to say we're going to table some of that for probably a little bit later in this full year. Um, but you can see some lists of some of these gifts uh, in, in, the, in the epistles and the letters in the New Testament, particularly 1 Corinthians 12. You've got, you got a list of some different gifts that God gives to different believers uh, for the purpose of edifying the church, strengthening the church, encouraging other believers, and encouraging yourself um, and again, we're going to we talk about, again, there, there's lots of them. Uh, we'll talk about it another time. But let's briefly look at just the supernatural signs that accompany people being filled with the Holy Spirit. Man, what happens, though, when they're filled, when someone's filled with the Holy Spirit? Man, what, what are the signs, what are the supernatural things that we see happen there? Um, so we go back to that slide that shows kind of five, five different examples of people being filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts. So we read about the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. What were the examples there? Wind, fire, and other languages, praying in tongues. Um, in Acts chapter 9, we see Saul uh, at Ananias' house. Saul has an encounter with Jesus. Uh, he, he repents. He becomes a Christian. Uh, Ananias prays for him, and he, he, he becomes a Christian, and he receives uh, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, as far as, as, far as what, what supernatural signs accompany that, well, we go on to see Saul, uh, who changes his name to Paul. God changes his name. He, he does all kinds of supernatural signs and wonders. Lots of miracles accompany his life. Um, but included in with that, what you see in the gift of tongues, the ability to, to, to pray in tongues. Um, and he, he, in his own words, he says, I "Man, I pray in tongues more than anybody, right, is what he tells us in 1 Corinthians 14. Um, and so a little bit of distinction and clarity here when we're talking about praying in tongues. Because we saw this example on the day of Pentecost. People heard uh, other languages from other regions of the world. This is the only time, the only time in scripture that the gift of tongues is described in that way. Um, Elsewhere, uh, it's described more as a spiritual language, a heavenly language that that mentally we we don't know what it means unless God himself gives us the interpretation. Um, can, Can God give you the ability to speak? Uh, in Chinese, so you can share the gospel with a Chinese person. Man, it's, God can do anything, right? So it's theoretically possible, but that's not the example we see repeated again and again in Scripture. Is that clear? So, so, so what we see with, with the gift of tongues in um, two different distinctions, and Lily and, and I had a conversation about this a couple weeks ago because uh, she likes to ask me questions and, and I like being asked questions. So uh, at the end of this, if you have lots, lots of questions, you can text me. Uh, it's my favorite thing in the world. Um, but so, so two different, two different kinds of, of this gifting of tongues And one uh, that's given to individuals to, again, encourage the church, a message to the church, uh, given in a tongue, but there must be some kind of interpretation to follow it. uh, Well, God says, I want to speak something to this body, uh, and and so that you know it's God, it's going to come in a language that no one knows, but then immediately followed by an interpretation. Supernaturally, this is a message from God. Uh, And this is not for everybody. This is given to individuals on an individual basis. But then there's this other distinct... uh, gift of, of being able to speak in tongues pray in tongues and, and, and Paul delineates these in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 uh, the ability not to speak out loud in a tongue to a group of people but to be able to just pray in tongues on your own just a spiritual language between you and God and, and man if you are an unchurched person if you are a person that says man I come from a background where I don't have any familiarity with that that sounds like the weirdest thing in the world I agree it sounds like the weirdest thing in the world um, but be patient with me for one minute um, and we, we have a faith system that believes that, that God created everything out of nothing with a word, right? Our entire faith hinges on the idea that God became a human being, died, and then came back to life, right? We believe a man raised from the dead. Has God given you the ability to speak a language you don't know that far-fetched when, you, when the central premise of your faith is that a man raised from the dead, right? So, so be patient with me. Be open. Okay, God, if this is something you want to do, I'm open to it, okay? Um, so what will be the purpose? What will be the purpose for, being, for praying in a language that you don't know? Because that seems pointless. Like, why? If I don't know what I'm saying, what is the point? Um, and, and, and there's lots of good reasons. But I'm going to leave you with two, two examples that Paul gives. Uh, one in Romans 8. Uh, he says, it says, one possible purpose is sometimes in situations we don't know what to pray. We don't have any idea what to pray. Um, and in that moment, the Holy Spirit will help us to pray uh, God's will. And, and that will be through sometimes groans and utterances that we don't understand. Uh, so, so that can be one purpose of and praying in the spirit, praying in this tongues, this prayer language uh, as God enables us is to in a situation where I have no idea what to pray um, with the help of the Holy Spirit I can pray God's, God's will for that situation I often don't know what to pray like the older I get the more situations seem really complicated it's like I know I should pray for this situation but God I don't even know where to begin like, I don't know if I should pray that you do this or maybe it's better that you do this, I don't know so man I'm going to pray in my prayer language I'm going to pray praying this, this gifting of, of, of tongues that you've given me, trusting that your will is being prayed in this situation. Is that clear? And then, and then the other, other example he gives in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says the person that prays in a tongue, again, is pray, praying in that spiritual language they don't understand, edifies themselves, builds themselves up spiritually. Uh, so again, your mind, he says, my mind is fruitless. I don't really know what I'm saying, but my spirit, man, is built up and encouraged. So we're in a place that we need to be built up and encouraged spiritually, which, man, is daily uh, the, the, that's another purpose of that gift of praying in tongues uh, is, is to build us up spiritually. So I said all this because as we look at um, these other couple examples, I want you guys to kind of have a, a basis to know what we're talking about there. Um, so so when Saul is baptized in the Holy Spirit, we know that, that he man, also receives this gift of being able to pray in tongues because he says, uh, man, I'm not proud of praying in tongues more than anybody. Uh, looking at uh, Acts chapter 10, we see um, Peter at Cornelius' house. So this is a time in the early church Uh, where where there was some confusion, can Gentiles, non-Jewish people, become Christians, right? They weren't sure, right? Some of them were, yeah, sure. Some of them were like, I'm not sure yet. Um, But God calls uh, Peter to go uh, declare the gospel to these Gentile, non-Jewish people. Uh, They believe, and then they're instantly filled with the Holy Spirit. How do we know they're filled with the Holy Spirit? Acts 10 tells us that they spoke in tongues and they prophesied. And uh, I'm sorry, they just spoke in tongues. Uh, they declare the wonders of God, but it doesn't use the word prophesy. So, so in that moment, Peter and his the brothers who were with them, they knew that these Gentiles had become Christians, and not only become Christians, but were full of the Holy Spirit because they heard that same evidence of of being able to speak out loud in tongues that they heard when other people were baptized in the Holy Spirit. And they said, "Okay, obviously Gentiles can become Christians. Let's go find some water and baptize these guys." That was the, that was their response. Um, and so, so the supernatural the supernatural sign we see accompanying. At Cornelius's house, when the believers, when the Gentiles believed at Cornelius's house, man, they all began to uh, speak in other tongues and glorify God. Um, Acts chapter 19. Paul uh, comes across some believers in Ephesus, and he talks to them. Uh, and he said, "He said, uh, you know, what kind of baptism have you experienced?" And they said, "Well, John's baptism, you know, the baptism of water, uh, repenting of our sins." So these these are believers, and he said, "Well, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit?" And they said, "And we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit." Paul said okay well, let's get this done and he lays his hands on them and he prays for them they're filled with the holy spirit and the bible says they speak in tongues and prophesy how did, how did they know that they were filled with the holy spirit because they spoke in tongues and they prophesy uh, these are supernatural signs that accompanied to let them know okay and they've been filled with the holy spirit uh, again coming across individuals already christians they already had the holy spirit uh, and they would already been baptized in water as a public demonstration uh, that they are turning away from their, their life of sin and following God. Uh, but when Paul had realized that these guys hadn't been filled with the Holy Spirit yet, and he, he prayed with them, laid on hands, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, and and, 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 and that, that outward demonstration for them was when was, they began to prophesy and they began to speak in other tongues. The other example on there, you'll see Acts chapter 8. Um, we don't really know what the supernatural sign was. There was some kind of supernatural sign because uh, Simon, this man that, that uh, used... And uh, demonic powers or illusions to deceive people he sees he sees people filled with the Holy Spirit and he says I want to be able to do that for people can I buy that right um, so, so I don't know he, he offers the money he says can, can you give me the power to lay hands on people and fill them with the Holy Spirit like that again he's got it totally backwards I don't know if God's like bless your heart or, or whatever but um, that's not something you can buy that's something that's for sale that uh, he witnesses something he sees something he hears something maybe it was the tongues of fire again probably not because we don't see that anywhere else what I'm willing to bet, and I'm willing to bet, is probably, man, man, probably that gift of tongues. He probably hears, hears them speaking in other tongues. He hears them declaring the glory, uh, glory of God, prophesying. He says, man, I want to be able to pray for people and experience that. So what we see here, man, when we see something repeated again and again like this, uh, and theologically we would say this is something that is normative, which just means this is normally what happens when someone's felt the Holy Spirit in Scripture. And we see them speaking in other tongues and prophesying. Almost every time, and the, the time it's not explicitly said, it's strongly implied. Um, and so, so, and what, what can we gather from that? What can we take away from that? That when we ask God to fill us with the Holy Spirit, first of all, He does it. He's a good Father that gives good gifts to His children. Uh, in the Gospel of, of, of Luke, Jesus says, "Man, if you be an evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask?" Um, again, you already have the Holy Spirit. Uh, when you become a Christian, but when you ask God for more, God's going to give it. He's not going to be Nah, like, eh, I don't know. I might hold this one back. When we ask God to fill us with the Holy Spirit, eh, that's a prayer He wants to answer, right? So, so we can believe that God's going to give it, uh, and, and, and and this this uh, this gifting here, this ability to to, to pray in tongues, is, is uh, a gift. I believe He has for every believer, you know, every believer that would seek Him for it, that would say, Man, God, God, I want you to release that kind of gifting in me. I want to be able to pray this way, be able to pray God's will when I don't know what to pray, be able to build my spiritual man. Uh, spiritual person up uh, when I don't know what to pray. Um, and I believe that's available for you if that's something you'd seek God for. Um, but uh, so these are kind of the, the, I mean, the signs and the wonders that we see accompanying you know, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and the only reason I brought up these other examples from Acts is because for the purpose of this series, we're probably not going to go that far into Acts, but I wanted you to see it happen. I want you to be able to, if someone to ask you uh, you've got a new believer, a friend who's reading the Bible, and they come across and they're reading about people being baptized in the Holy Spirit, and they say, Kira, what is this? Damiano, what, what does that mean, baptized in the Holy Spirit? This sounds like, I don't even know what this is talking about. Uh, you can sit down and explain to them. Well, I'm glad you asked. Let me talk to you about what that means, what it is, and what it means for your life. Um, it's something that God wants for you. God God, God doesn't want you to, uh, to to say, okay, you know, Father, I want to kind of keep you at arm's length. I want to, to have just enough of you to be saved, but then just kind of go on my merry way. Um, God wants you to be full and overflowing with the power of the Holy Spirit so you can live bold lives for Him. So you can be intimate with Him, close with Him. Uh, so that you can be bold to share your faith with roommates and classmates and strangers. Uh, so you can operate in the same power uh, that we see the early church operate in. Um, and so tying it all back to the beginning, and the early Christians, uh, they relied completely on the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we see them here at the day of Pentecost, filled with the Holy Spirit, I and mean, then they go forward in power, and God does amazing things. In these next couple weeks, uh, uh, we're going to see miracles, we're going to see just amazing conversions, and people, people coming to God, um, and God doing powerful things, but, but the reason that I want to spend some time in Acts here at the very beginning of the school year, when I'm praying during the summer, and thinking, about what series do we want to kick off, kick off the school year with? The reason God, man, I feel like letting led to Acts is, man, I want Kyle to operate in that kind of power. And I want us on the campus to be full of the Holy Spirit and bold witnesses for Jesus. And declaring the glory of God to, to, to strangers in the cafeteria and to, to, to classmates, to lab partners, to whoever will listen. Uh, and, and, and I want, I want, I want to see, see God moving in our lives. I want to see us growing. Uh, I and mean not, not timid, weak in our faith, but full of power and strength from the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, So it's talking about a throwback faith, a throwback Christianity, something that Christians maybe lost a little bit of, gotten away from. Do we rely on the power of the Holy Spirit or do we rely on other stuff? Do we rely on our own intelligence, our own charisma, our own strength, this or that? Uh, do we rely on, on technology? Do we lean hard on other people? Uh, or do we lean hard on the Holy Spirit like we should? Are we fully relying on the power of the Holy Spirit just to get through the day, just for our day-by-day walk with the Lord uh, do we rely on the power of the Holy Spirit when it comes to sharing our faith and declaring the glory of God on this campus? Now, what would it look like? What would it look like if Kyle from there, full of the power of the Holy Spirit, is out there on the campus just declaring the glory of God to people? Um, and could we see hundreds of people saved, thousands of people saved? And, and every year, man, we see people come to Christ in Kyle. But we see people make a decision to follow Jesus, and I'm super excited about that. Um, but could we see more? 23,000 students at the University of Memphis. And so many of them not walking in close relationship with God. Some of them don't know God at all. Uh, and God use kind out full of the Holy Spirit to declare the glory of God and see people and come into a relationship with God. That's what I want, right? And, and, and I feel like in kicking off the semester that way, that's going to set us on a trajectory for the rest of the school year um, to, 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 to operate in that, to expect God for that, to believe God for that. Um, so what I'd like to do is just take some time to pray. And we've got a lot of donuts to eat. Um, but, but I think it would be, it'd be, it'd be uh, really good for us to just take a moment and pray. And we've, we've heard about these first believers being full of the Holy Spirit. And some of you guys say, yeah, I've asked God for that. God's filled me with the Holy Spirit. I've experienced that. Some of you guys say, I've never experienced that. In fact, a lot of it sounds crazy, but I'm just curious enough that I want to ask God for it. Um, and, and, and some of you say, man, it's been a long time, and I'm far away, and I need just a fresh feeling. I need, I need a fresh fullness uh, of God in my life, I need a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit, and I'd like you to pray for me tonight. Um, I'm going to ask uh, Nathan, would you mind playing something, playing, playing some music softly? Um, I'm going to ask Jackie and Christina to, to kind of join me up here to, to pray for people. Um, what we're going to do is just take take a few minutes here uh, up at the front. If you'd like to be prayed for, um, to, to to be baptized, to be filled with the Holy Spirit again, you could have received it before. You could never receive it before, and just want to be want to be filled again. Um, I'm not going to do anything crazy or wild or loud. I'm just going to pray a simple prayer. I'm going to set my hand on your shoulder and I'm going to say, God, please please fill them with your Holy Spirit. Please baptize them with your Holy Spirit and we're going to believe God to do it. Alright? Uh, if you guys bow your heads with me. Father God, I thank you so much for what you did for us in Jesus. God, I thank you for doing for us what we could never, ever do for ourselves. Jesus, thank you for going to the cross in my place, for dying the death that I deserve to die, for taking my punishment, my shame, so I can be forgiven and made right with God. You didn't have to do that, but thank you for doing it for me. God, thank you for your great love for us. God, your patience with us. God, that when we fail you again and again and again, you still love us. You're still chasing after us. You're still patient with us. You're still standing there on the porch waiting for us to come home. God, I want to pray for students to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I also know there are students here, God, that are just far from you. They just need to come home. Like, with every eye closed, just out of respect to your neighbor so you can kind of have privacy with God. You say, Matt, that's me. Um, I'm, I'm far away from God, uh, and, and I need to just pray to be right with God first. I just need to ask God to forgive me. If that's you. you just raise your hand real quick to the Lord? and say, yeah, I I need forgiveness. I need to come back. Maybe you've never prayed, you've never called on the Lord in that way, you've never put your trust in Jesus that way and asked God to forgive your sins, even the first time. You say, man, that's me. I want to have my sins forgiven. I want to have a relationship with God and a home in heaven. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? Thank you, I see that. So everybody else that says, yeah, would you pray for me? I want to put my trust in Jesus today. Let's pray for that. Uh, father God, God, you see every heart. God, you know where everyone's at. Uh, and again, you love us. Love us. Desperately love us. Like a father loves his children. Like a father is grieved when their son or daughter's far away. God, you're longing for a relationship with us. God, you're drawing us to yourself by your Holy Spirit. And um, God, right now, uh, we wanna, just want to confess to you, God, where we've blown it. The areas that we've totally screwed up, totally failed. And we just humbly ask for your forgiveness, God. We're sorry. Please have mercy on us. Please forgive us. Because what Jesus did on the cross, would you please wash us clean and make us new and give us a fresh start? And the Word of God promises that He does. And when we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness, to make us brand new in Christ. Would you, would you strengthen us? Would you help us to live for you? Would you be the Lord of our life? And help us submit to, you, submit to you and follow you for the rest of the days of our life, God. We love you and we trust you. In Jesus' name.